Good morning. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. We've been on a long, steady ride through Hebrews, and I feel a bit like a, an airline pilot, I guess. I feel like it's, it's time to start descending and bring this baby in for a landing. <laughs> the wheels aren't down yet, but we'll be landing shortly uh, <laughs> and disembarking on into another book of the Bible. Uh, the plan right now is to go to Genesis and not do an exhaustive verse-by-verse uh, study through Genesis, but more a survey highlighting uh, various things as we do that. So uh, here we are in Hebrews. We're in chapter 13, and I want to point out to you three verses this morning, actually four, but here's the first three, verse 7, 17, and 24. Hebrews 13, verse 7, 17, and 24. Verse 7. Remember your leaders who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Verse 24, greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. So guess what we're going to talk about today? (laughs) We're going to talk about church leadership. This um, is actually going to be a little mini-series We're not going to exhaust the subject here this morning, but I will talk to you this morning mainly from a perspective of the great shepherd himself. And so the fourth and final verses I want you to look at are verses 20 and 21. Now may may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in us what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So church leadership, uh, it's sorely needed. (laughs) And the subject is desperately needed to be talked about. It's a timely word because of the day and age that the church is in today. So I would like to begin uh, and really just do my best as a pastor to do the thing that a pastor should do, and that is primarily point us to Jesus, because he's the great shepherd, or as Peter would say, the chief shepherd, or as Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. And so my job as your pastor is to edify you with the word of God and to point to the Lord. I feel very much like John the Baptist who called himself just a friend of the bridegroom. He, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. So don't get your eyes on me. Let's get our eyes on the Lord. So the reason I want to talk about Jesus first is because he's the absolute gold standard. He's the head. He's the ultimate. He's the eternal shepherd. Everyone who is called to church leadership 
is to be an example of the great shepherd, Jesus. Everyone who is called to church leadership or leadership within a church is to be an example of the great shepherd, Jesus. We're very flawed and imperfect, but an example we are, or supposed to be. <laughs> so, shepherd. I just want you to just focus, I want us to focus on this title, this designation for Jesus that he gave himself and that is referred to in other places as I've already mentioned. Shepherd. It's a delightful and an endearing thought. Jesus goes by many names. Isaiah 9, verse 6, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Christ, which means Messiah, Prophet, Priest, King, Emmanuel, Jesus, His name given by the angel, which means Savior, in some respect, all those names kind of have him as other. He's, there's us, and then there's, there's him, <laughs> priest, prophet, king, lord of lords. Emmanuel gets us closer, but shepherd, shepherd. Of all the names, the most endearing is shepherd. And the reason for that is our attraction is because of his affection. The title shepherd just comes with the idea of someone who cares for others and the broad scope of what's involved in caring for others. And so it's an interesting title and a reason for our attraction to Jesus as a shepherd is because of his affection. We are drawn to him because he's drawn to us. This is the heart of a shepherd. If you think about it, when you come into the Gospels and you see, particularly I've been going through Matthew and my own personal devotions, and it's early in his ministry, we see that word multitudes. Multitudes. An innumerable number of men, women, and children that are just drawn to him. It's a shepherd. They've found their home. They found their leader that they've been looking for. And so our attraction to him is because of his affection for people, his love for people, and hence we're drawn to him. So a shepherd is a very interesting and delightful word. The concept of shepherd and flock is from cover to cover in the Bible. That is, it's throughout the Old and New Testament and into the future, actually. And I'm going to give you a bunch of verses, and Oz will put them on the screen as I read them, and you'll get the idea. But before I do that, I want to recommend a book. So I want to recommend a book called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. It's a classic. If you've never heard of it, I encourage you to get that book. I bought a hardcover from Thrift Books last night. I think it was eight bucks uh, delivered. A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. I don't often recommend books. I have absolutely no doubt in, in question in recommending this book to you. 
It is a shepherd, and it will stir your heart, dear ones, in your love and your adoration and your devotion to Jesus, as he will bring to light from his own experience as a shepherd, and he'll bring much insight and glory to Jesus and his care for you and encourage us to follow him. Thanks, Oz. So let me just touch on a several verses, first from the Old Testament, and this is just a small sampling, but I want to build in our minds this idea of shepherd and sheep. So in Psalm 80, verse 1, it says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Oh, come, let us worship and down, bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For we are, or he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Here's a fave. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Isaiah 53, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jeremiah 31, 10. He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Ezekiel 34, 31. You are my flock the flock of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. You know, Abraham is the father of the Jewish people, the Jewish race. He's also the father of Christianity, actually, because Jesus came from his genealogy. Abraham was an urban man. He grew up in Ur of the Chaldees, the flourishing city over in Iraq in his day. But when God called him, he left Iraq, <laughs> And he moved to Israel and became a man of a shepherd. He became a shepherd. Abraham had great flocks. The typical cattle of the ancient world were oxen, sheep, and goats. Uh, what else? Donkeys and maybe some chickens. <laughs> All right? Camels. Yes, camels. All right? So Abraham had many of those. Isaac, his son, became a shepherd. Jacob became a shepherd. Job was a shepherd. And when you think about some of the greatest leaders in human history and in biblical history, Moses was a shepherd for 40 years. David, obviously, was a shepherd. There's something about tending animals that helps us in our leadership. It helps us understand us and God's nature as well. In the New Testament, just to continue this idea and to give us, familiarize ourselves with this concept of shepherd and sheep, I want to just remind you of some words from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who what? Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So there's the, clearly the idea of a flock Speaking of the church, Matthew 9, 36. 
actually not anything Jesus said. It was something that was observed by his apostles. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Our attraction to him is because of his affection for us. Matthew 10, 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Matthew 26, 31, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Luke 12, 32, do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Thank you, Oz. After Jesus rose again from the dead, in John 21, he had a, he had a meeting with Peter who had denied him. And you know that the Lord cooked breakfast and Peter and the boys came in from a night of fishing. And the Lord spoke to Peter and he restored him back to fellowship and back to leadership himself. Peter, a leader, he fell mightily and denying the Lord three times. But three times the Lord said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the point is not, Peter, how much love do you have? It's Peter, you don't know how much I love you. And so just respond in love. And as a leader, the Lord said to Peter three things. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. This was what Peter was called to as the first pastor of Christianity when the Holy Spirit came down in the book of Acts. Peter preached the gospel. 3,000 Jewish people became Christians. They left Judaism and the church was born there in Jerusalem. And Peter became the pastor of a megachurch by any standard, 3,000 people. He wasn't doing it alone. He had other men that were serving with him. This idea of shepherd and sheep is carried on by Paul. Paul actually never sat under the personal ministry of Jesus, but later in Paul's life, he expressed the same concept to leaders of a church in a town called Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says this, take heed to yourselves. This is Paul speaking to the elders, to the leaders of the church, to the leaders of the church. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Peter would also exhort elders, that is, church leaders. In 1 Peter 5, he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, being examples to the flock. So again, I just want to remind you, friends, Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. We're going to look at that a little bit. Peter referred to Jesus as the chief shepherd the head, the ultimate, the one who stands alone. And here in Hebrews, the writer refers to him as the great shepherd of the sheep. 
I want to read to you a quote from a book that was given to me from a fellow pastor just this past week. A man's name is Charles Jefferson. He says, Christianity was at first the religion of the Good Shepherd. It was a shepherd whom the early Christians loved to paint on the walls of their chapels. They traced it in gold on the glasses from which they drank. They molded it on lamps, carved it on rings, painted it in frescoes, and it is found on thousands of tombs. That is the image of a shepherd. It was the favorite symbol of Christian life and faith. This figure of the shepherd reveals how they regarded him in their deepest experiences, how he comforted them in their most solemn hours. It was the tenderness of the shepherd which soothed them when their hearts were bleeding. It was the shepherd's courage and strength which braced them in the day of persecution and in the hour of death. He goes on. When church leaders began to lose the vision of the good shepherd, they at the same time began to drift away from the New Testament ideal of ministry. Little by little, they magnified their office in ways not approved by the Good Shepherd. They degenerated into tyrants, setting themselves as sole custodians of the grace of God. The church lost the way which leads to life as soon as its leaders forgot that they were shepherds. This last sentence I found profound. Darkness fell upon the earth when the shepherd was swallowed up in the priest. And then I would add to that, so we don't despair, that there was a reformation. There was a reformation, the Protestant Reformation, and that restored the office of shepherd, a healthy respect for Jesus. Jefferson goes on, he says, even in our Western world, from which machinery and commerce have driven the shepherd and his flock, the best loved of all psalms remains Psalm 23. More men and women read and cherish the Lord is my shepherd than any other. Millions who have no experience with sheepfolds and to whom a sheep has been an animal almost unknown have been deeply moved by the story which Jesus told of a shepherd who went, out in, who went out in search of one lost sheep. The heart of a man is like the heart of a sheep. <laughs> it beats at the sight of a shepherd. So why are you and I compared to a sheep? It sounds like a major <laughs> downgrade, doesn't it? It sounds like an insulting thing to say. Um, let me say this right up front. Uh, there was an occasion that uh, Jesus was being tested by the Pharisees, the church leaders of his day, if you will, uh, horrible men, abusive, manipulative, manipulative, exploitive, mean, spirited, selfish, greedy. And so they set up Jesus one day. He comes into a synagogue and they just to show you how bad these men were, they went out into the neighborhood and they found a man whose hand was withered. My animals got withered. I shut it in the door back there a couple weeks ago. But uh, anyway, this man was sitting there, his hand withered, and they said, and it was the Sabbath. He's in synagogue on the Sabbath. And they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? 
Jesus said this, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So don't be offended, brothers and sisters, when the Bible refers to us as a flock, as the church is a flock, or you and I as individual members of that church are considered sheep. Don't be offended, okay? And I hope to show you in a mo moment here why the comparison is made throughout the Bible. And furthermore, Jesus, when he made man, Genesis 1.26, just to reestablish and to strengthen so you're not offended, so I'm not offended, when God made man, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the birds, and over the cattle. <laughs> okay, so we are infinitely greater than a sheep. So why the comparison? Well, what I've learned is that sheep are afraid. Anybody here afraid? We have an honest man in the room. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the greatest things we struggle with, right? Sheep are easily frightened and distracted. Sheep are weak and timid and defenseless. Sheep don't scratch, bite, kick, spit, sting. <laughs> they really have no defense mechanism. Like porcupines are pretty weird, slow-moving creatures, but they got quills, right? Woodchucks get under my porch. They're kind of weird, stupid things, but they can come after you making all kinds of sounds and it makes you back up, right? They come after you. Sheep don't do that. They're timid. They're weak. They're defenseless. They're not super quick. They're slow runners and they're low on stamina. <laughs> okay, so we're just going through. This is why we compare. This is why people can be compared to sheep because we deal with fear. We're easily frightened and distracted. And obviously, and you know, honestly, we're, we're quite timid and defenseless. But you know, sheep are also social creatures. They're not meant to live alone. And it's very, and a sheep will actually uh, get really anxious when it finds itself separated from the flock. They're social creatures. If something goes wrong within the flock, if there's tension, for some reason unrest among the flock, Philip Keller tells, you know, speaking of the 23rd Psalm, he makes me lie down. It's hard to get a sheep to lie down for several reasons. They might be afraid. They sense danger. Or maybe, he says, when there's, when there's trouble within the flock, they're not, they don't rest. You all experience that, I know. When there's just interpersonal stuff, you just don't rest real well. That's like sheep. That's why we're like them. Sheep need leadership. Sheep need leadership. They don't have hibernating or migrating instincts. They will not naturally move toward good food. They tend to overeat. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
Like, dude, like I have a New Year's revolution, resolution like every night. It's like, I'm never going to buy ice cream again. Sheep must be led. They cannot lead. The, they must be led. Sheep cannot be driven. You don't drive. You drive cattle. You've all seen the Western movies. Maybe you've seen the Western movies. Cowboys on horses, and they're driving cattle. You don't drive sheep. You have to lead them. Sheep must be led. All that to say, a sheep is entirely dependent on superior wisdom and care. They need to be watched over, protected, provided for, healed, and loved. I'm a sheep. <laughs> and Jesus is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd. And we're all sheep. We are entirely dependent for his watching over us and guarding us and guiding us and feeding us. Not food. We don't worry about that way more important stuff than food. We need righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And this is what he gives. And this is what restores his soul, Psalm 23. He restores my soul. And by the way, the word restore is an, an ongoing action. He's constantly restoring my soul. And it literally means he's bringing me back because there's a turn back toward him who wants, he, remember, Remember, he's attracted to you. He has great affection for you. He has great attention upon us. He's the good shepherd. And we are entirely dependent upon him. The only reason we get into trouble is when we doubt that. And we start going our own way. All we like sheep have turned and gone our own way. And we've gone astray, away from the Father away from Jesus, the good shepherd. He's calling you back to himself this morning, brothers and sisters. He's calling you back. His great heart. I just, we read it in Matthew 9. He saw the sheep. He was moved with compassion. That is Matthew writing that. Jesus didn't say it. It was observed. He was setting an example. There was something that his, his body language was very evidently drawn to people who, were, who did, had bad leadership, who had bad church leadership. And they were weary and broken and bruised. And he was, he's like, let me at them. <laughs> that he could bring them under his care. And that he could watch over them and guard them and heal them. Anoint them with oil. That's what it means in Psalm 23. Thou anointest my head with oil. There's a healing aspect. Sheep are just get so distracted. When, when the shepherd leads them to the green pastures, they immediately start digging right in. Well, there can be little snakes and creatures in the grass. A nip on the nose needs healing. And so he anoints with oil. He anoints their head with oil to keep the bugs off. Keep the insects that want to pester them. This is Jesus watching over every one of us. So turn with me to John chapter 10. I'll just point out a few things where the Lord tells the parable of the good shepherd. John chapter 10. 
And if you have a Bible with red letters in it, which I kind of like, right? Uh, the red letters have been, they're helpful in that it are, those are the words that Jesus spoke. Okay, so the red letters are the words that he spoke. Uh, so if you have a red letter Bible, you'll notice that a good portion of the chapter is in red letters. He's doing a lot of talking here. But it's John chapter 10. And what has just happened is he's healed a man who was born blind in John chapter 9. Cool, right? Except he did it on the Sabbath. On that one day where the Jews were not supposed to work. And uh, so because of the way the Lord healed him, it, it aroused the leadership. And they said that Jesus is not of God, that he's a sinner, that no man would break the Sabbath if he was truly a man of God. He would not break the Sabbath. That's our identity. That's, what, that's, that's the one thing that is the, the sign of the old covenant that God has made with his people. And so to break the Sabbath was just blasphemous, abomination. And yet he healed this man who had been born blind. Nobody's ever done that before. And so it's right on the heels of this conflict within the temple in Jerusalem where you have these degenerate leaders. And I just want to tell you, you know, they're Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. You read about these guys in the New Testament, right? You know what they did? They wore a costume. That's how I think of it. They had a whole lot of apparel. <laughs> Their attire was such that if you brought one in and stood him right here and stood Jesus next to those, that man, and if you didn't know either one and you'd say, which is the godly man? You'd all point to the Pharisee just because of the way he was attired. The thread count <laughs> in his tunics and his robes was very high. They were very wealthy men. And they appeared to be very full of piety. And they carried themselves in a manner that was just ex tried to express a reverence and an awe of God. Of God. <laughs> That's how you say it, you know, when you <laughs> I'm a man of God. <laughs> Sorry. Right? It's a costume. It is literally, it's a masquerade. Jesus undressed them with his words, Matthew 23. He said, you're all like whited sepulchers. And, and what he's referring to, he said, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You see, because you couldn't touch a sepulcher because it housed the, the bodies of those who had passed. And so as you're making your way, pilgrimage into Jerusalem for the Passover, what they would do is they would whitewash the sepulchers because to touch a place where people had been buried was to, you would be defiled. You couldn't touch something where dead people were. And you didn't want to, that'd be a bummer, right? You travel for miles and days to get to the great festival of the Passover. And on the way, if the, if the sepulchers weren't whitewashed, you wouldn't know. Maybe you'd touch it and they'd get there. You'd touch the sepulcher. I don't think so. Well, how about over there? And I was like, oh, yeah, I did. Sorry, can't do the Passover. So they'd whitewash them to make them very good looking on the outside and very obvious. 
And Jesus undressed those Pharisees. He said, you're all hypocrites. Hypocrites, Greek. Do you know where the Greek word came from? Those who played a part on the stage. A hypocrites was an actor. It's literally what they were. They'd put on a mask and they'd play the part. And so again, I go back, you've got the Pharisee standing here and then you've got Jesus standing there. And Jesus is just in simple, he's from Nazareth. He's from a country town. Just simple garb, absolutely nothing externally. And yet inside of him is the glory of God. His pure holiness and righteousness and goodness. So it's in that sense that we pick it up here in John 10, verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, is a thief and a robber. What's the difference between a thief and a robber? A thief is somebody who does something secretly, and a robber has, does, does it openly. And a robber would tend to imply uh, violence and danger and harmful. And so these men, you know, they, they steal uh, secretly, but over time it began to come out openly. This is what's in their heart. This is, he's, refer he's contrasting himself as the chief shepherd. I am the chief shepherd, Peter said. Peter said that of Jesus. And so he's setting himself up to make that very clear. And he's speaking out loud to these men who are dressed up in the costume who need to believe in him. And he said in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he, notice he's leading. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. A little bit of context is helpful. Back in those days, it was common for shepherds who would be, you know, uh, shepherding their flocks in various re or in a particular region, but it would be common for them at the end of the day to bring, the various shepherds would bring their respective flocks back to one location. And they'd open the gate and they'd put all the different sheep in one spot. Okay? So now you've got all the sheep mingling together. And they spend the night that way. The shepherd gets up in the morning and when the shepherd would, each shepherd would make his particular sound that was familiar to his sheep, they'd open the door and the shepherd would make the noise and then only the voice or the voice of that shepherd, only those particular sheep would follow. All the other sheep would just be waiting for their shepherd. Pretty cool. Right? My sheep hear my voice. How do you hear the voice of Jesus? Primarily, pun heavily intended, from the word of God. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm going to hear the voice of Jesus from the word of God. And so I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as you are reading, please read your Bibles. Read your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll hear the voice. If you're, you're, the heart of a human is drawn to that of a shepherd. 
And we need to hear his voice. I need to hear him speaking to me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So I can hear the voice of my shepherd when I'm reading Chronicles and especially Leviticus. And I'm not joking. The book of Leviticus is very near and dear to my shepherd because embedded in that is the day of atonement. It's the day when he gave his life for the sheep. And so what I take out of these first five verses is that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He is comparing himself with those who are arguing with him about the Sabbath and all this other, and he's like, no, nope. <laughs> I came in through the door. In other words, what he's saying is that I never disobeyed God. I came in properly because I always kept the law. And therefore, I am highly qualified. I'm actually the only one qualified to be the chief shepherd. The Lord goes on in verses 7 through 17. Let me pick it up at verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. There's a memory verse. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, or one who is hired to watch, who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, says it again. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I am the good shepherd. I am. Jesus would say, I am, a bunch of times, in John's Gospel especially. And the emphasis is, uh, it's really sort of could be stated, I and I alone. I and I alone am the good shepherd shepherd. Here's what I found interesting. When I looked up good to try to get an understanding, a definition of what Jesus meant when he said good, good means excellent in nature and character, therefore well-suited for his work. Isn't that cool? I am the good shepherd. Good means excellent in nature and character, therefore well-suited for his work. 
So question, what is the nature and character of Jesus that makes him so well suited to be a shepherd of a you and me? And the answer that I see, first of all, as I already mentioned in verses one through five, is that Jesus said, I am the one who has come through the door. In other words, Jesus lived a sinless human life. He never succumbed to the temptations of the world, flesh, or devil. Therefore, he was free from self-interest. Y'all hear me? He was free from self-interest. Because he never succumbed to the temptations of his flesh or the world or the devil. He was free from interest in self, which is the biggest problem that all humans have. And therefore, he was able to reveal God because he lived for God. And he did God's work God's way. He is the chief shepherd. What is his nature and character like that makes him so well suited to be our shepherd? When I look at verses 7 to 17, it seems to me that the primary characteristic is love. Isn't it interesting? Verse 11, love gives. That's what he said. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Love gives. Love gives sacrificially for the benefit of the undeserving. Notice the contrast to verse 13. The hireling flees because he doesn't care about the sheep. He's out there in the pasture and he's watching over the sheep, but he's full of self-interest. And those sheep are really there for, he's just bored with the whole operation. And he can't wait to get back in and do the stuff he really wants to do. And if there's trouble, he doesn't, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I'll try to do the best I can, but if I lose a sheep, not my problem. He said, they don't belong to me. I'm just, I'm just tending them temporarily. And I go back to Jesus' words to Peter there on the beach in John 21. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed, they're not your sheep, Peter, they're my sheep. You're his sheep. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, he is your shepherd. You've heard his voice. Oh, probably not audibly. It was much deeper and much clearer and much better than that, and that there was a soul, your soul was reaching out for meaning and purpose and value and identity, and you came in your brokenness and your, in the world that you've come from, and you found that there is a man named Jesus of Nazareth who has come, and he has great compassion, and when you came and you humbled yourself and you confessed your need for him, you're entirely dependent, I can't get through life without help, he goes, well, thank you, I'm glad welcome. Come on in to the fold. And we begin to hear his voice. And we go from darkness to light and we become new creatures, actually. There's new life and there's, there's hope. 
the primary characteristic of a good shepherd and what makes him extremely qualified and the only one who's qualified really to be the great shepherd is the love that Jesus has. I look at verse 17. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Look at the end of verse 18. This command I've received from my father. My father gave me this command and I'm going to do it. He speaks as though it's already done. He's talking about the cross, brothers and sisters. Jesus is talking about his crucifixion. The shepherd's going to lay down his life. Nobody takes it from me. I never saw the movie Passion, The Passion of Christ, but I've heard a lot about it from those who have seen it. And the one thing that became very evident from those I've listened to and talked to is that it could not actually adequately portray the heart of the Savior and that he laid his, nobody takes my life from me. It becomes very evident in the Gospels. Judas showed up with a band of soldiers ready to arrest him. I love it, John 18. It says, Jesus went toward them. Who are you here for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am. <laughs> he went to them. He volunteered on our behalf because we're all like sheep who have gone away astray from God just through a sinful nature that has separated us from him. And the Father sent the Son, and he made him a good shepherd to call us back into the fold, to be in the kingdom of God. So I just love connecting those words. John 10, 17, therefore my Father loves me. Jesus just lived in the love of the Father. And he loved the Father, and the Father loved him so much that Jesus is like, I will gladly do this, Father. It's going to be the hardest thing I'll ever do in my whole life. When I get into that garden and say, Father, is there another way? Nope, you got to do this, son. And the command that God had given him, he says, I've received this from the Father. I and the Father are one. So what's the primary characteristic here? It's his love. It's his willing to sacrificially give his life so that we may live and live more abundantly. That's what makes him, in my opinion, the great shepherd. And by the way, when you look at verse 16, Jesus said, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. What's that mean? What's that mean? He's speaking to an entirely Jewish people. He goes, I have other sheep which are not of this ethnicity. <laughs> I'm talking about Gentiles, which I believe most of us in this room are Gentiles. Right? I have other sheep that are outside of Judaism. But Jew and Gentile, it's all going to be one flock. And I'm going to be the chief shepherd because I'm the only one that qualifies to be the chief shepherd. But I'm also the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd, from what I can see, for three reasons. Because of the size of the flock. <laughs> there are literally hundreds of millions, if not billions, hundreds of billions who are and have been and will be part of the flock. He's the great shepherd because of the size of his flock, because of the extent of his love, and because of his ability to meet every need of every single 
one of you. Every, we are entirely dependent. He is infinitely able. So let's close in Psalm 23. And we'll just take a cursory view and I'll close it up. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. <laughs> How many of you, well, I'll, I won't even ask. I hope you've memorized Psalm 23. You know, I have a dear friend. Well, I don't want to overstate it. We're good friends. <laughs> well, we are. We are. It's cool, right? I just, it's just I'm like, not like super close, but um, I was going through a period of depression, and so was he. And when I heard about it, I reached out to him, and we agreed that we would meet right up here at the uh, Ithaca Bakery, right up here at the plaza. And so I got there first, and uh, I'm waiting, and I'm just... Ah, inside, right? Anxious, blah. And here comes my friend. And he sat down and he looked at me and the first words out of his mouth, thou art with me. He quoted that part out of Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And maybe that is good. You're connecting with that. I'll just tell you this. That's exactly what I was holding on to personally in my time of the valley. And when he said that, I'm like, brother, <laughs> we are here together. Thou art with me. Psalm 23. I want to point out to you something, brothers and sisters. It's really profound. It really is. But Psalm 23 follows Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the cry of the shepherd. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those were the words of the good shepherd when he was hanging on the cross. And Psalm 22 has multiple references in the Gospels that establish the fact that it was a personal experience of David, but it also had a far-reaching prophetic nature prophesying of the death and resurrection and ascension and second coming of Jesus Christ. It's all there in Psalm 22. But do you see the, the profound, the significance of it, brothers and sisters? Psalm 22 is the cry of the shepherd. Psalm 23 is the response of the sheep. And we look at the death of Jesus and we know that it's because that he gave his life for the sheep that we even live and we live more abundantly. And so David would famously say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. 
<laughs> As I said before, that's a continuous action. He restores my soul. He brings me back to himself. It's like the prodigal coming home. I'm finally where I belong. I've gone out. I've nearly ruined my life. And now the Father has received me back. I'm home. And the soul is restored. Your soul is your emotions. It's your mind. It's your will. Everything is put into right order. Because the Lord is my shepherd. And do you notice, David, he's just expressing the heart of any sheep. Total dependency. He cares for me. He provides for me. He feeds me. He saves me. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads. I walk through the valley. He's, he's watching over me. This is the work of a shepherd. You all remember the Christmas story? Right? Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem. Little baby Jesus is born. Luke 2.7. Luke 2.8. There were shepherds keeping watch over their flock at night. <laughs> I love that. I love it because I can picture men in the outdoors under the starlit sky with a bunch of sheep probably laying down. And then I come to the Gospels and I see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane comes back and the disciples are sleeping and he's standing over them. There's a shepherd keeping watch over his flock by night as dangers approaching. This is our God. We're attracted to him because of his affection for you. God loves you. He raised Jesus to prove it. He's taken away your guilt and your shame. And I know that's a daily struggle. I know it is for many of us. He's restoring my soul. The more I hear his voice, the more I spend quiet time. I get out of the urban culture that we live in. And I'm talking about what's coming through to us digitally. And I get into just a time of quietness out under the stars this morning, last night, and just quiet myself before my shepherd. It might be good to say, the Lord is my pastor. I like saying it that way because those words are synonymous. The Lord is my pastor. When I walk through the valley of shadow of death, there's no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's correction when it's necessary. There's a reminding that I'm his. A rod was used for counting the sheep. The shepherd would stand in front of the gate, and as the sheep came through, he'd hold out the rod, and their head, little head would just tap it. And many times they had names for their sheep. Their flocks weren't oftentimes enormous. I understand that. My dad was a dairy farmer. There was a while where we just milked 30 cows in a stanchion barn. But over the head of every stanchion was a name. Every cow had a name. We would call them by name. I get this. Cows are dumber than sheep. <laughs> Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, there's healing. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, there's contentment. My cup runs over. I love verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Follow me? I thought he was leading me. <laughs> well, he is leading me. What he's saying there is that goodness and, goodness 
and mercy will literally, what it means, follow, it means literally pursue me. He's before me, he's behind me, he's in me, he's all around me. And as I'm walking through life and there's a trail of failures and sin and disobedience, goodness and mercy, kind of cleaning up, as I come back, cleaning, <laughs> cleaning up. Years ago, I was just serving in a bigger church up in Rochester, New York, and uh, my friend Billy and I, we'd come through after the two or three services on a Sunday morning. Goodness, it was a large church. I don't know. And we'd start cleaning up, and Pastor Billy, he'd go, yeah, we got to pick up all the sheep droppings. <laughs> <laughs> Little cups and napkins. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> ah, weird. <laughs> Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me just close with this, brothers and sisters. Today, as the writer of Hebrews says, today if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Today, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd is making his gospel appeal. And he's saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Today, if you will hear his voice, yield yourself. Just confess, Lord, I need help. I've gotten waylaid and confused and distracted. And I have this desire to just constantly live for me. And it makes me do bad things. Shall I go through the laundry list? I don't think I need to. Please forgive me, great shepherd. You laid down your life. The extent and the effect of your cross touches today. Today. Now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. Come back, wandering sheep. If you've gotten distracted and you've wandered away, and you know you're already a sheep, you hear his voice. But maybe you haven't heard it in a long time. For who knows why. He's calling out today. Let's stand and pray. Give ear, O shepherd. Before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him, Jesus the iniquity of us all. 
Thank you, Lord, for your ministry among us, among your church. And I pray that you would grow your church today. For those who have heard your voice today, Lord, and I believe most, if not all of us have, may we respond with worship, with joy, with just an expression of surrender, of trust. Like David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I will never lack anything that is needful. Not the stuff I want, but what is needful. I need forgiveness. I need, I need peace to be restored into my life. The God of peace who raised that great shepherd of the sheep from the dead. The God of peace that comes through faith in Christ. Be glorified today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.